Doghouse Conversations, bringing you thought-provoking discussions from the documentary world. Hello, and welcome to Doghouse Conversations. My name is Carol Nara, and it's my pleasure to welcome Victoria Mappelbeck as our first featured filmmaker. I thought Victoria would be the perfect person to launch our podcast. She's been experimenting with the frontier of documentary and creative technology for the last two decades. She excels in telling stories in small, intimate spaces, like most of us are currently inhabiting. I'll be talking with Victoria about her filmmaking journey. In the late 1990s, she wrote and directed Smart Hearts, Channel 4's first interactive documentary series. And a precursor to Big Brother, webcam streamed live from a divorcing couple's homes for 18 months. In the last few years, Victoria has begun to specialize in smartphone storytelling. We'll talk about her trilogy of award-winning films she made on her iPhone. In 2015, Victoria filmed and directed 160 characters, the 11-minute film brings to life the secrets buried in a vintage Nokia. In 2017, she made Missed Call, a BAFTA-winning short which explores her relationship with her teenage son, Jim, as they work out how to reconnect with his absent father. Victoria was nearing completion of Missed Call when a routine mammogram revealed she had breast cancer. She decided to keep filming, using her iPhone to chronicle life after the diagnosis. She undergoes chemo and months of uncertainty. The resulting film, The Waiting Room, is a nuanced and intimate account of the toll of undergoing cancer treatment. An accompanying VR piece takes you even further inside Victoria's perspective. As we are all currently in lockdown, it comes as no surprise that Victoria is continuing to film in the coronavirus age. We're going to talk about how to film in these difficult times and what the current crisis means for the documentary community. So welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My life sounds so full of drama, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, you're very good at creating drama out of very intimate space. And that's yeah. why I thought of you first when we decided to launch these conversations, because yeah. if anyone knows how to, um, to make lemonade out of lemons uh, <laughs> and films out of isolation, I think it's, it's you. So, yeah. um, but I, before, we, before we get to what you're doing right now as you're, as you're self-isolating, um, I was reminded in that that you know we we first met when you were coming out of Smart Hearts, which is uh, dates us both long as, as time over ago. twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, but it was very it was very innovative at the time. And and what's it like looking back at that project? Because um, I was delighted to see that we can watch a, a we can watch some of it on Vimeo. So we'll post that link as well. Yeah, I think. Um... It was Adam Barker that commissioned that when it, when independent film and video still existed at Channel 4 mm-hmm. and it came, came out of that department. And I think he said that he wanted to look at the ways technologies were changing the way that we communicate and also the ways new technologies were changing the way that we could record intimate lives and that that was almost the brief for the commission. And of course, so much, you know, I look back on it and, um, you know, it's pre-Skype. And mm. so they, we had these clunky old PCs in their houses. It was about a divorced couple who were then living separately and a sort of portrait of their lives over 18 months. And it really, really was like streaming technology in its infancy. And we were trying to do a sort of, a, like I say, a, a very, very beta kind of early version of FaceTime or Skype with all of the glitches that would come with the technologies that then was. So we were like rebooting webcams on Boxing Day and and none of us were very tech savvy. So I kind of often look back on it quite nostalgically for how early it was in, in the sort of whole field. But I'm also, I can see 
where I came to the films that I then did. I feel like I had a career in two halves almost. Mm -hmm. And I can still see, even though it was very much other people's lives, I can still see lots of connecting things that, that I found interesting. The way that technology changes the way we communicate, intimacy, you know, trying to find a kind of new sort of intimacy for documenting people's lives. A kind of wanting to document people's lives 24 seven, because you know, we had webcams, it was pre Big Brother. And partly why we were lucky with the commission was Channel 4 was quite interested in just sort of testing the tech before they took Big Brother a year later. Um, so I can definitely see, you know, weird connections, but obviously, God, what a different time. Well, and it's, yeah, as you say, a, a, a career of two halves, because you had a, a few years out, I think. Yeah, many, 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 like literally 12, 13, like a really long, long time. Yeah, a long time and a long time in the, um, the lifespan of these technologies. So in mm. fact, when you return to filmmaking, you were able to find pretty much you can make a, fo a, a, a phone film. <laughs> and you've and you've been very um very successful as that as 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 shown by all the, the awards that you've won with the, the the several that you've made lately. Um, what was that like returning to actively uh, making uh, films and also turning the camera on yourself? Um, so I think there's something really liberating, you know. Again, that in terms of that career in two halves, you know, I've had sort of productions that have been paid at the kind of TV rate. And uh, when I made Smart Hearts, you know, that would have been a really quite sort of sizable budget to that complete DIY sort of filmmaking, you know, 160 characters received £2,000 from Film London. And I had a little bit of money from a prize that I put into it. So it was made for about £5,000. So obviously I didn't take a fee. You don't, I, I'm lucky that I've got a day job as a, as a sort of uh, filmmaking tutor at a university. Um, but obviously editors have got to pay rent. And um, because I do everything else, I feel like I really need editors. I've worked with some brilliant editors and because it is so personal and I'm doing so much of the directing and the shooting, I think having an editor come in and have that extra skills and extra viewpoint is amazing. So that small budget on the first smartphone would have been used for quite a, quite a long edit and little touches of animation. Uh, we had no money for the music and you know, Jim, my son just downloaded GarageBand on his phone and did it, did a little piece in 10 minutes, which, which I've used on two films. So again, I feel like the phone is quite useful for the kind of apps that you can utilize and how you can get creative really for no money peanuts, you know? So I found that quite liberating because initially after that huge gap, and it was a gap because I was raising my son on my own, um, I went back in almost the more traditional way. So I was at all of the, with the, with the project, uh, I was at all sorts of, you know, IDFA and Sheffield Dockfest and all of the forums, managed to raise 70,000 euros after two years with Arte then couldn't raise the much bigger production budget in the necessary time, so lost it. And it was a huge lesson to me, and it's a lesson that I really talk to my students about, about not getting too lost in the, a long, complex financing mission, because you can get really close and even get money and then lose it. And then I felt like creatively I had so little to show for, that was the two years, you know, from about 2000, 
13 to 15 and I worked really hard and did hugely you know I'd say probably one of the few commissioners that like long proposals so there were enormous proposals and and I also put a lot of my own money into it and actually went quite deeply into debt because I'm not a production company so I was using my teacher's salary you know and it was a lesson to me actually about that's not I don't think that's a very creative way of making films. It's also incredibly uh, debilitating. You know, it's hard to keep going. And the pleasure you get in, you know, to me, the fun bit, the bit that I love is the making and the viewing rushes and the recording phone calls. And that's the thing that keeps you inspired um, and hopefully inspiring to others in terms of the final films, you know? So I, I won't ever go back. I mean... That was a project that was never finished. It was a project called Text Me, which mm-hmm. was in a way linked to the smartphone shorts that I did. So the idea was that it would be a smartphone feature which would tell mine and Jim's life. So in a way, it was a project which I'm still actually working on now. So it was right. a feature documentary. And because obviously I'm very interested in interactive, it was also a website where you could share your own text messages. You could share one that you regretted receiving, or you could share one that you really treasured and wanted to remember. And it, you know, it had some nice ideas in it, the website. You would be able to go to a live bonfire and watch your text from your ex that you hated burn live right Um, and it had some lovely touches like that but again you know I did a residency at the Baltic gallery and uh made we did these workshops where people we had a little Nokia template made a little cardboard coffin and then people as part of the workshop would like effectively bury (laughs) this text message that they hated and wanted to never be reminded of ever again so you know there, there are really cheap you know DIY ways you know, the way that I'd written it for the website probably cost 50000 you know, needed all sorts of software developers and web designers and web moderators and all of that. And then I did it at the Baltic for like a couple of hundred quid. Of, yes. Of, and in you know, fact, what the films that you've, you, the, the sort of trilogy now of, of films that you've done quite, quite in close succession are all very straightforward, simple, low, low budget Right. So talk us, talk. Uh, So 160 characters, like I say, had that first bit of funding from Film London. And I, that story had actually begun as a short written story and um, I'd actually written a 40,000 word memoir because writing again, you can do for no money. And so 160 characters was, I'd written this short story, which was, um, I discovered on an upgrade of an old Nokia that I still had all of the text messages from my ex-partner and my son's father. And they were kind of extraordinary in that there were only a hundred texts, but they had these huge dramatic arcs. So they had the first loved up text when we first met, uh, six weeks later split up and then a couple of weeks or a month or so after that discovering I was pregnant and so the first text message was you know loved meeting you and the final text message from my son's father was uh yes I got the results I needed to know uh, I'm moving to Spain which was when he'd asked for a paternity test when my son was two um and then sort of cut contact for another 11 years 
Um, so the 160 characters very much uses those, not where I basically went back to where I had sent or received those text messages in the early 2000s. And then the, the kind of Nokia interface, those text messages come onto screen. Um, and so that was made in 2015. And then uh, Adam G, who was uh, ex-commissioner of Channel 4 and was then commissioning for Real Stories, came. I did a talk at the Story Conference, which is a brilliant conference that I go to every year that was run by Matt Locke. And um, I was doing a presentation on 160 characters and Adam saw it and liked it. And uh, it's an example of actually you should also keep, never say no to those offers of panels and 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 sort of offers to speak because sometimes there is somebody in the audience that might offer you some funding and that he said basically said you know he was really interested in what would i like to do potentially as a next film and my son jim at that point was 13 and for the very first time after a big absence of his father he hadn't seen his father since he was two decided that he wanted to make contact um, and Miss Call is about that decision and because you can imagine that was very difficult after such a long gap as to, and to how do you make contact um, with a father who's been gone so long you know do you just ring him do you cold call him do you do you text what do you put in the text and so there were lots of sleepless nights and when it, it was a very live commission it's very different to 160 characters, which effectively was a past tense story without Jim's father really involved at that time. And Miss Call was, was a lot, I think was a lot more stressful, even though it was an amazing film to make, because my life and Jim's life was the sort of unfolding narrative. Yeah, and I really liked how you did, and, and this resonates, I've shown it to a number of my classes, my documentary classes, and it really resonates with the students. Um, it's shot uh, very much in the moment. It's shot completely again on, on the iPhone. Um, you have a series of conversations with him, which I admired for, as I have a son the same age and can't imagine getting him to open up, but, but you do it quite sensitively. So if, if, if something has been revealed in the, you know, about his dad or something, you, you've clearly had a conversation the night before, but you kind yeah. of revisit it. Um, so that you're not breaking news to him on camera and and all my students always appreciate that and then the way that you record your your screen during it and you, the use of technology and the text messages I think is really fresh and uh, that goes along with a lot of still still images that you have um, around your South London neighborhood I think too which is really um, resonates a lot as well so for for those of uh, listeners who haven't seen it, I really suggest watching it. Um, and it did win a did win a BAFTA, um, <laughs> which was great. And 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 I, my students also enjoy watching Jim's acceptance speech. Of yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or striding. It was your speech, but he strode on the stage so proudly. It's great to see. Um, and then, but it was while you were filming this that uh, uh, you found out that you uh, had uh, breast cancer, and you kept filming. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we were nearing the end of the edit on Miss Call. It was quite a short turnaround, that film. It was sort of commissioned and almost delivered, I think within about five, six months. And it was not long before Christmas. And uh, I just had the, the the random, the kind of mammogram that you get when you're over 50. I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't have any lump. Um, so it was a real shock. 
when I got the call back letter, which was you're going to need more investigation. And then really, I mean, I got the diagnosis about four days before it was 2017, just four days before Christmas, that they just in terms of the look of it were sort of 99% sure that it was breast cancer. And I think, I think I would have hesitated or I think really struggled to begin filming, but it, it, I think what helped was the fact that I was really in this kind of workflow and production and pleasure almost of filming difficult, personal, intimate parts of my life. So it wasn't really a big leap. So I think I only went maybe a couple of weeks, two, three weeks of the first appointments when I was just really absorbing the sort of mm. shock of the new and the news and then I started to you know they allow you to do audio recordings and those consultations anyway because a lot of women choose to do those meetings alone which I did and then of course you want to listen to them back because you know you're hearing a lot of information so yeah it's a lot to take in that was fine um so I was able to do lots of and I think also that was the turning point for me I've never thought more about sound and soundscape as I have in the last couple of years. And I think it's because I've started to sort of see that kind of way of audio recording intimate mm -hmm. moments and lives is like really important. So, you know, I record all um, voicemails and, and actual voice and voice, voice phone conversations with friends and family. And that I suppose began with the waiting room because you can imagine that that's how you receive a lot of support. And you're talking, and because my son was still really young at the time, you know, he's only 14. So, you know, to keep him separate from all of that, I would be talking to my mom or be talking to my brothers or friends. Um, so I very quickly, yeah, built quite a big archive. And, you know, whenever I was waiting for difficult news, if I knew that I was going to be recording it or thinking about doing some shots in the waiting room, I obviously I never had anybody in shot, but trying to do sort of empty corridors and things like that. I used to find it really cathartic. I suppose it would probably take my mind off the reality mm. of, of what I was going through at the time, you know? And it wasn't just that you made a film out of it, but you also uh, at the same time made a really remarkable, also award-winning VR piece. Yeah, so I had been really interested in VR, you know, as part of the documentary festivals that we go to regularly, Sheffield and IDFA and the Venice Film Festival. There'd started to be some really incredibly good sort of uses of non-fiction virtual reality. And I had started to kind of watch it a lot. I felt like a real switch at those documentary festivals. I'd sort of moved away from... 2D film and I was going much more into that into that world and feeling that the really good stuff was happening there and uh, I'd started to sort of review it and and get really passionate about it and so uh, this opportunity came up which was uh, University of West of England, University of Bristol, Bristol, University of Bath had got some academic funding and to give three commissions to VR directors two of whom could be sort of new voices to the medium. So I applied uh, with an idea to do an accompanying sort of VR piece to the film in the, in the sort of uh, way that Notes on Blindness, you know, is a feature doc and then has the VR experience. And, uh, and I was amazingly lucky and I, and I received 50,000. And actually that was really nice actually to have some decent funding because frankly, it is a much more expensive medium. 
Um, and it just met, it took a lot of pressure off actually to be able to have that kind of budget. And I, what was great was that the, in a way, the archive that I was working on for the waiting room, which Charlie Phillips commissioned at the Guardian, lots of that material then sort of was useful for the VR, particularly the sound. And so I worked with this amazing sound designer called John Wakefield, uh, who's like a sound artist and podcast um, editor. And we built first this kind of audio only story and then the idea came up to do to use the uh, gopro 360 fusion which is a low budget 360 camera and we recreated the radiotherapy that i had and i sort of wore it on my head and it was meant to be a test shoot but i thought it was so weird and so wonderful that it effectively became a huge part of the final piece well and it was really powerful when i got the chance to do it uh, properly at the Global Health Film Festival. Thank you. Um, so, so now here we are, and it is late March 2020, and 2020 is proving to be the the year of COVID-19. So we're all isolated, and uh, I assume you are still filming. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm probably stuck with self-isolating for the duration because I'm asthmatic and I'm on some breast cancer drugs that lower immunity. So I'm really stuck indoors. And um, yeah, again, because I'm just filming regularly, you know, my other big project I've got going right now is a, a feature documentary called Motherboard, which is effectively the storylines of the short films, but I'd like, I'd love to see them in a final feature film. And obviously there's a lot has happened to Jim and I, uh, even since the cancer treatment and the waiting room. Uh, he's just turned 16, um, all sorts of changes in our lives. And then, you know, act three now, I suppose, has the corona and how it's hit everybody. And obviously it's had, like everybody out there, it's had a huge effect on our lives. And I suppose, again, it was a sort of easy decision for me because I'm virtually filming with the mobile every day anyway. So I began filming video diaries about, and you know, it's changed so quickly from one day to the next. So I've, I've used video diaries. I've, I sent you a little clip of, um, I think, you know, teenagers have a natural solipsism, so they find it quite hard to remember to do the hand washing because it's it's okay, they're not, hopefully it's not going to be too much of a threat for them, but they're living with people potentially where it could be much more serious. So, uh, you know, at the moment I'm charting um, mine and Jim's very different reactions to it. And even actually with him as a teenager, he's gone from being very glib and skeptical to obviously now really, really feeling it and feeling, you know, he's very close to my mom, you know, and he's not able to see her and he can't see friends and obviously school stopped for, we don't know how long. So, um, you know, we both, there's good stuff, you know, we, he's bought a pedal bike and he's, you know, that's got him at least away from the PS4 for five minutes when he goes off and has his one moment of exercise, he gets on a bike. Um, so yeah, we've, I've been filming that. And I think the, the recording phone calls, which like I say, I've almost got as pleased with the material there as with the smartphone. And that's just like a Zoom recorder and a little device that I bought on Amazon, which you place in your ear and it basically records um, the incoming call and also my voice. And the quality's really, you know, you'd have heard it when you did the waiting room VR, 
those phone conversations okay i was going to ask in that way okay because yeah. yeah, yeah. the, the app that i used to use is no you're no longer able to use it so it's good yeah. to know what advice do you have for people that are just thinking about how to uh not go crazy to get something creative out of this and not see their their sort of budding documentary career blow up in their face yeah I think, you know, when you're at home now, there's so many ways that you can kind of creatively document the stories and the experiences and the emotions for whether it be from writing to filming with your smartphone to recording phone conversations to using, you know, our voicemails. Voicemails are often lovely because there's such a little mini narrative. Um, you know, my mum's leave me a voicemail about, I've managed to get you some tomato ketchup because we, we found weirdly that was the thing we were missing the most, you know. Um, so, and you know, even my mum, to keep herself busy, is writing. She's got, I bought her a nice pen and a journal and she's writing down every day, like some childhood memories. Um, so, and I do think it keeps you sane. I think it's a kind of, it's a sort of structure for the day. You know, you can film with smartphones in a really low tech and actually it's really quite, it's often very usable footage, particularly when it's inside and somebody's only, somebody, you know, you're only a meter, less than a meter away from the, um, from the camera. And then Rode do quite a lot of microphones for the smartphones, which are sort of in the, you know, 20 to 50 pound range. So not hugely expensive. And obviously those external mics make a huge difference. Because the sound ends up being the most important, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of, I've got, like I say, the Rode microphones are quite useful, but then you're tied to the camera. So I just bought a little one recently that just goes in the end of a, of a kind of smartphone. And you can either, it can either be facing or the other way, depending on whether you're in selfie or wide um, angle. So, yeah, there's ways of getting much, much better sound very inexpensively. And are you finding, um, what, what is your documentary community and your students, what's the impact sort of been on, on their lives? So huge, obviously. So uh, I teach a master's and they're mainly international students. Uh, I've got four Chinese students and a student from Havana. And they're now sort of deciding whether, because our teaching, like most universities, has, has become digital. We're using, you know, Zoom and other platforms for teaching. It really doesn't matter whether they're in London or at home. So they're making big decisions at the moment as to whether to return back to their, to their own country. We've got students, you know, I've got third year uh, degree students who obviously it's their assessed work is very important because we want them to graduate this year. So we've done a few extensions and uh, our teaching after the Easter break will now be in the form of lectures or, you know, one to one sort of digital support watching work in progress and then giving feedback and support. So I think we can still give them, I mean, it's not, it's never going to be quite the same as being in the same room, but it's not bad. And I've noticed that even though the technology can still be a bit glitchy, you know, I did a work call yesterday when somebody just had to say, kept on saying, unmute Adam, unmute, <laughs> <laughs> like 25 times. Yeah. Uh, but actually it's better, a lot better than it would have been even just a couple of years ago. And I think people are a lot more tech savvy than they were even a couple of years ago. So it's, it's sort of doable. Well, that's what I've, I keep thinking is, is it's amazing how far the technology and how everybody's suddenly zooming and it's 
you know, and, and how, how fortunate in that respect we are that we have, we have this, yeah. uh, this technological world to keep communicating in. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess the uh, final question is how, what, will you be releasing um, your work uh, that you're doing now in, in small bursts so we can keep up with it? Yeah, so I think what I'll do, which has been my strategy in the past, is to try and get a short form commission now for the sort of corona story. And, you know, effectively, it's sort of a portrait of a single parent family and how life changes behind closed doors in the times of corona. And, uh, you know, people I'm sure are aware, but there's actually quite a lot of commissioning opportunities happening right now. Al Jazeera are looking for ISIS stories uh, the space and arts council just yesterday uh, said that they're, they're going to be announcing something on Friday so I'm going to try and get funding and th that would be quite nice actually to just be released soon and so I think at the moment I'm thinking a short film and also a podcast series using all of these you imagine how many phone calls I've been recording in all of this so doing a sort of podcast, uh, maybe five series of five and, and a 20 minute film. And then I've just got to be careful to make sure contractually that I can use all of that material again. So, you know, when I was at Film London, that was that's never a problem because it's sort of arts funding um, with real stories. We had to sort of read negotiate the contract so that I could use up to 50 percent of that footage because I'm also really passionate about it being in this feature film so I don't want to have to buy it back yes. so but but a short film commission would just solve our immediate cash flow problems mm. and we're also working out things like how can I because I do love working with an editor so how can we work remotely um, yeah and, it, and frankly also because it keeps me sane like I definitely feel that in terms of mental health uh, and I'm hoping this will be the case for other creatives, but I, I really think, I mean, at the moment I'm a bit too busy. I sort of just, I'm lacking a bit of time that I still need to do a few calls to doctors and do bank transfers. And I'm actually got no time at the moment because I'm so busy. So I think actually it does need to calm down a bit, but um, I think it's going to be a really good way of getting people through if they can come to the end of this few months and they've learned something or they've they've made a brilliant a brilliant creative output that speaks to people like that's going to be a lot better than just there's there's only so much netflix we can watch <laughs> absolutely well and i think it will be i think we will see we see an enormous surge in creativity and the projects are really exciting it's just getting through the the, the pain of the uh, isolation and the, and the yeah. lead up to it but um victoria i want to thank you so much for being um our first guest for Doc House Conversations. And I think it's quite inspirational, the work that you've been doing. And I'll look forward to following your Corona tales. Thank you. Uh, and um, we will post links to those opportunities for filmmakers, such as the Al Jazeera uh, Commission that you were talking about um, on the website. So um, everyone have a look at that. And thanks very much. Thanks so much. Good to see you. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Doc House Conversations. Don't forget to check out our website for related links. In episode two, I'll be speaking to Orlando von Eisendel about his life in filmmaking.